Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film Podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into Hereditary, The Tale, and First Reformed in today's Reviews episode. I can show you the world. Just take a look through my eyes. Such as the nature of a reviews, plural, episode, uh, there will not be any spoilers for any of the movies I'm talking about on this episode. Uh, I had mentioned recording uh, about Hereditary and The Tale already. Uh, I recently saw First Reformed. I wanted to kind of add it at the end of the episode. It'll probably be the shortest of the three segments, um, but I I did want to kind of comment on it. It is a new movie relatively it technically counts as 2017 for me but I, I do think it counts as 2018 for this year's oscar race so it may play a role in that based on how amazing the reviews have been that i've seen so just wanted to kind of give you my thoughts on that it's playing at my local theater might be playing at yours this might influence you to go see it or not uh, but the order will be uh, hereditary the tale and first reformed for today's episode Uh, If you only want to hear the review for one of those movies or two of those movies, uh, I will be putting the timestamps in the show notes uh, so that you can skip skip to those if you are so inclined. And uh, yeah, so let's, let's jump into the first review, which is for Hereditary. Now... <clears throat> Hereditary is a 2018 film directed by Ari, Ast- Ari Aster. I believe that's how you say it. Uh, it's the only film I've seen from him. It stars Tony Collette, Alex Wolf, Millie Shapiro, Gabriel Byrne, and Anne Dowd, among others. It is a dramatic horror thriller movie that, when it first premiered out of film festivals, it was getting incredible praise. Uh, I saw a lot of Twitter reactions calling it the scariest or uh, most affecting, most thrilling movie they've ever seen. So, as someone who's not really a big horror fan, I was a little cautious about going to see this. I was concerned, uh, you know, some of the bigger horror movies in the past year or so, like, um, like It, you know, It wasn't I wasn't, I didn't have any, I didn't struggle with it at all, Uh, you know, things like that. I I didn't really have a big problem with it. And, you know, the last movie that I was really scared by was probably It Follows, I I think. That or Don't Breathe. I think those two kind of really, really tough to watch for me. But, so I went into Hereditary, like, fearing the worst, but resolving to not look away from the screen, to not shield my eyes of any parts of the screen, to not lessen the experience at all. I saw the movie uh, with my girlfriend, one of her friends, and her friend's mother, so there were four of us, and the rest of them, I I think, went in with about as much understanding of what the movie was about as I did, Uh, although they probably saw more trailers and, and promotional material for the film. I didn't see any. Uh, my impression heading into the film was that Millie Shapiro, the, the daughter character, was probably, like, the linchpin of the film. And I, I guess, like, in the vein of, you know, little girls and horror movies kind of thing. And she's not that. It's not the same situation. Uh, that isn't to say she isn't 
necessarily the linchpin of the film. She's certainly a very important role, and the reason they marketing that, that she's out in front of the marketing is is it makes sense. But it isn't anything like Mama or or, or anything you know with other t- like tiny girl characters that are possessed. It, it's it's a far different situation than that. Um, if you're expecting that, you're you're not going to be. It will not meet your expectations. Uh, so that that was what, but that was what I went went into the film expecting. Uh, it's not what we got. So uh, if you've heard, listened to anybody else's review, if you've read any other reviews of this movie, uh, you'll probably have heard that uh, that the first half of this movie is far more concentrated on the drama side of things than on the horror side of things. Whereas the second half of the movie uh, tr- tends far more closely to the horror elements that a lot of people talk about. And that's true uh, from my experience. Um, and also my biggest issue with the film. Now, I don't have any problem with movies switching genres partway through. I think there's definitely a lot of examples where that has worked and that has been satisfying. But for me, um, less so the horror <clears throat> element of Hereditary, uh, the film drifts into supernatural territory. Uh at points, and that was where I really struggled, because for me, the dramatic elements of the first half of the movie are incredibly strong, and the implications of what's really happening from a dramatic point of view wound up, for me, feeling far more impactful, far more threatening, far more scary than any of the non-real elements that take place in the later parts of the movie. You know, those are the moments where I was kind of just like, really? I don't know why they made this, this decision. It it really poses a lot of questions and opens up the floodgates to these to a lot of different directions. And, and in my opinion, perceived flaws that the film has. Uh, I, I think that by making this decision, Aster ultimately uh, undercuts the impressive dramatic work that he pulls off in the first half of the movie. Now, that being said, uh, looking at it from a different perspective, despite my my lack of en- uh, enthusiasm for the later ha- part of the movie, the visual elements of it are phenomenal. The movie looks great, it's shot really well, it's got incredible cinematography, uh, you know, some of the like, there's no jump scares, which I'm very, very happy by. You know, the sound design is very quiet and isn't trying to jump out at you, which works really, really well. There's a lot of, like, hidden in the background of scenes uh, elements that <clears throat> play against the foreground of the framing. And it just it's just a movie that looks great. And whether or not you're on board with the shift it takes in the middle, the final third act of the film, uh, it it still looks, the visual elements of it are still very unsettling, very creepy, very scary in and of themselves, regardless of the plot machinations that are occurring. Uh, And beyond that, you have the performances. Toni Collette has already been heralded as, you know, our best actress frontrunner. I think she's great in the movie. I 
don't think she she's not my favorite perf, uh, lead performance of the year yet so far. Uh, she currently she does make the list though. She she is in the running for best lead uh, in my uh, in the circle of awards at this point. Um, as is Alex Wolf in best supporting. Alex Wolf is also being. A lot of the people I've listened to anyway have also heralded Alex Wolf for his performance. He's great. Uh, there's about a 30, 30 minutes or so into the movie, there's a scene revolving around him that is is terrifying and, and so brilliantly done that uh, it really leaves you stunned and um, struggling to, to come to terms with what's going on because it's a huge swerve and really, really works. It's really effective. It's really effective. And Alex Wolf is the one that sells it completely. The movie's atmosphere um, is palpable. You know, when Tony Collette, you know, tries to leave a parking lot and Anne Dowd, like, appears in front of her, you know, that's so beautifully choreographed and, like, the exchange between the two characters is organic and, and it... It goes places, you know, their conversation really leads to a lot of different spots, but it, it doesn't feel like, it never felt until the shift in the third act, it never felt like the movie was pushing us, like like the writing was forcing it in any direction, which I liked. It wasn't as if we had these like really choppy, unex, you know, weird lines of dialogue that were like, oh, I would have never thought of that, why would this character think that? I, and I see now that they're trying to shift the direction of things in a different way. No, all the dialogue, despite this hor horrific circumstance that this family is enduring, all of the dialogue feels really strong. You know, the dinner scene between uh, Tony Collette and Alex Wolf is amazing. Um, there's a couple of, you know, middle of the night scenes between Alex Wolf and Tony Collette that I love. And uh, it, it just, it all, it all works. So much of this film works, and it's so frustrating that there's a big element for me that doesn't, and I wish it did. Uh, clearly, it works for a lot of other people, and I think on a more emotive level, it is a very, very successful horror thriller, but I'm not rating it based on its ability to scare and unsettle you. I'm rating it on, on its faculties as a film, and... There's more to it than just that. So, for me, I ended up rating it three stars on Letterboxd, which equates to um, a 68, which is still good. It's a very strong movie. <clears throat> Currently ranked 13th on my list of movies from 2018. So, uh, you know, far, far from anything to scoff at, but definitely left me wanting and with a tiny bit of a sour taste in my mouth um, with the way uh, everything is resolved. Um, I don't know. What else can I say about Hereditary? Um, my letterboxed review pretty much outlines everything I already said. Um, I, I talked about this whole movie, like, my girlfriend and I came out of the movie, we went and got, like, frozen yogurt, and we were waiting to bike back home, and we were just kind of, like, going through the movie and asking ourselves, like, 
kind of more detailed questions about like, well, why would this decision have happened? And why did they do this? And why did they do this? And why did they do this? And it was, it was interesting because every single question, I think, that we asked each other revolved around the shift of tone in the final act of the film. And I don't, I feel, I, I obviously I'm, I'm harping on that element a lot because it's a, probably going to play a big part in whether or not you enjoy the experience. But it struck me because I think the first half to 60% of the movie is is almost flawless. Uh, I, I, you know, Millie Shapiro, I like her in the movie. She's good, but not great. Uh, you know, she, she is absolutely exactly what this movie needs for the role she's playing but I don't think she ever feels more than that I was kind of disappointed by Gabriel Byrne's performance he is kind of the straight man in the family who's trying who you know is impervious to the goings-on of everyone else and really only sees the after effects you know uh, you know a very very familiar trope in a horror movie and he really didn't didn't wow me at any point. I thought he was easily the weakest cast member in the family. And Dowd, as sort of uh, she's someone that Tony Collette meets at this sort of grief counseling group, and she's good. She definitely knows what movie she's in. She knows what role she's being asked to play. She plays it brilliantly there's a scene where Ann Dowd and Tony Collette meet after shopping at this like craft store and Ann Dowd is trying to sell Tony Collette on like uh, she's like look you should you should get a medium to contact uh, your deceased relative um, the movie opens with uh, Tony Collette's mother passing and Ann Dowd is like you should you should get a medium to contact um, your deceased relative, and the exchange between the two of them is great, you know, Tony Collette rolling her eyes, as I think a lot of people would, you know, it's very relatable in that sense, but on the other hand, you have Aunt Dowd, like, insisting, like, no, no, look, I said the same thing, no, 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 look, I, I, I know exactly what you're thinking, I've, I felt the same way, but trust me, you gotta try this, it's gonna work, it's, it's, there's more, you know, it's not just smoking me, you know, you gotta believe me, and like that exchange, you know, you really get a sense from Ann Dowd that, <clears throat> you know, you can kind of compare her and this to sort of a, a kind of lighter variation of the character she plays in The Leftovers, which I've only really seen the first season of, so there's that. But she definitely hits home exactly the type of impression you want to leave with the character she's playing. And... Uh, you know, the only the only real cast member that I think falters and, and doesn't hold up their end of the their side of the, the bed as well enough is uh, Gabriel Byrne for me. But uh, he, he's not so so off putting and so out of place that I think it detracts from the film. He's just there. And he's not the biggest role. So there's there's solace in that. So, um, I guess uh, the other awards, um, other things it's currently nominated for, 
is uh, director for Ari, Ast Ari Aster. Score, really like the score for Hereditary. It's subtle in a lot of places where it absolutely would not be in a, in a typical horror movie, and it really works in Hereditary. Uh, special effects, so hinging on the fantastic cinematography uh, that the film has. Great editing, um, and the visuals are, are, are you know, seamless uh, for the most part. Um, I, I'm still considering uh, putting it into tactile effects for production design. I heard that the entire house that the film mostly takes place in was built from the ground up, which is insane and incredibly impressive. Uh, the sound is really good, uh, and but then the makeup and costume and hairstyling is fine. None of it, none of that, none of those elements are, are particularly stellar. They're just good, and so still working out whether or not this film makes it into tactile effects or not. And then the other uh, category being considered is best scene. Uh, looking at the problem is. There's no one scene for me in this movie. If there is, it's either the dinner scene between Wolf and Colette or one of the midnight meetings that the two characters have. Um, as uh, you know, and and so I, I, I'm not sure which of those scenes is going to be that might make it into this category. Um, and then also comparing it against the other nominees in that category so far. So potentially two more nominations. Currently, it sits with five but uh, could be seeing as many as seven um, at this point in time. Um, how many it ends up with remains to be seen. But that's hereditary. I, I guess I, I say go see it. Personally, I think it's worth seeing because if you do embrace the third act, then this will be one of your favorite movies of the year, hands down. Um, if you don't embrace the third act, I still think there's a lot there to get out of it. It still does a lot of interesting and, and fascinating things for a horror movie and is well worth your time and investment, uh, especially if you get to see it with a bunch of people and it it terrifies the ever-loving shit out of them. So, Hereditary. I gave it a 68. I recommend it. <clears throat> Draw your own conclusions. It's very long, but it works. Mostly. Mostly. It doesn't feel very long, I guess, is what I'll say. But it is a very long movie. Okay. <clears throat> so that is Hereditary. We will now move on to my review of The Tale. This is another 2018 film uh, directed by Jennifer Fox. This is the only film that I've seen of hers. It is autobiographical. Um, to most degree, uh, I, I don't know exactly how accurate it is as a biography for Jennifer Fox, but Laura Dern's character is called Gen is named Jennifer Fox, so I'm guessing very few of the details are, are dramatized. Uh, it stars Laura Dern, Isabel Nalise, who plays a younger version of Laura Fox or Jennifer Fox. Uh, you may have may recognize her. She played one of the girls in Mama. She had a role in Xavier Dolan's Mommy in 2014, and she also had a role in It uh, last year. Her role in It was Girl in Bathroom. Film also stars Elizabeth Debicki, Jason Ritter, Ellen Burstyn, Common, Francis Conroy, John Hurd, and others. <clears throat> 
So, basic premise is Laura Dern is a documentarian, and she, one day, out of the blue, is shown uh, an essay that she wrote as a child, as a teenager, and <clears throat> it, the details in it are discovered by her mother, played by Ellen Burstyn, who sends it to Laura Dern, and she says, how could you... How could you not tell me what's going on in this this letter? How could you not tell me what's happening in what you wrote down? You know, it's something that reveals a lot to to Ellen Burstyn, who raised Laura Dern and had no idea what was going on. And Laura Dern looks at the letter. We kind of get her um, uh, <clears throat> narration over over top of everything, and she's reading the letter. We don't hear the full letter at first, or for even for a while. So we're not entirely sure what the circumstances are. And as the film progresses, uh, we go back in time to when she was a kid, uh, when she was Isabel Nalise, and she was attending um, a horse riding summer camp sort of thing run by Elizabeth Debicki and assisted by Jason Ritter's characters. So the two of them, there were like four or five girls at the camp at the time, and they would train the girls to ride horses, train them to run. Uh, Jason Ritter was an Olympic athlete uh, before deciding to uh, train horseback riding girls. I don't know. Anyway, <clears throat> uh, so the movie shifts to become more about this early young teenage uh, sexual relationship that Laura Dern had when she was very little and what's so fascinating about this film it it's sort of the the scenes with Laura Dern are typical drama scenes like there's nothing out of the ordinary about them uh, but everything that happens in the past has this very interesting quality to it because at first it's being shown how Laura Dern remembers it and then at the after a point, she has to reconcile with the fact that she doesn't remember it perfectly, and that we're slowly being presented with what really happened, not what she remembers having happened. And as she becomes more uh, in tune and in entrenched in this this history of herself and her life, uh, the picture of the past becomes clearer and more refined and more intimate. To the extent where we even have Laura Dern of the future interviewing characters in the past. So, uh, one of the scenes has Jason Ritter driving in a car. He's by himself. And he is addressing the camera, which is asking him questions with Laura Dern's voice. And so, you know, like 35 years have passed. And she's she's talking to it's it's so it's brilliant i love it so much she she breaks the entire conventions of documentary film documentary filmmaking and dramatic filmmaking to sort of jump across times it's you know how fascinating would it be to be able to interview yourself as a 13 year old and what you think about the things happening rather than try to remember what you think was happening and that's kind of what Jennifer Fox is doing in this movie. You know, at times she's talk, she has her current 
aged self talking directly to Elizabeth Debicki, directly to Jason Ritter, to Isabel Melise, as they were 30-some years ago. And you hear this brilliant exchange between, you know, like, Lardern and herself as a 13-year-old, and she's asking, like, you know, what did you think was going to happen? And her she responds to herself by, like, well, I'm old enough to, like, make this decision. And... <clears throat> And Lardern's like, well, what if you're wrong? And it's just a fascinating conversation to, de- to depict between oneself and one's younger self, or oneself and one's older self, even. And that element of things, that direction, that, that point of view is, is fascinating. I, I was immediately drawn into it. And it's not as if the story isn't compelling in its own right the story is also incredibly harrowing and difficult to swallow it's it's it takes a lot out of you and uh you kind of have this somewhat unreliable narrator in laura dern who you know the whole time we're in the present she's like telling everybody like it wasn't like that it was this this was what the situation was this is what had happened uh, you know, I felt this way. And then we go to the past, you know, which is being ripped straight from the information she's finding. And that's not how it was. And it's it's slowly, you know, it, she's kind of in denial that her life was forever changed by these circumstances, by these events. And, you know, we spend this movie trying to come to terms with what really took place and and whether or not it can be an ex- it's something that can be accepted because you know how so many times uh, you know what with everything that happened around Harvey Weinstein and everyone else that has since been named uh, in in the ensuing me too movement it's not as though <clears throat> you know a lot of those people a lot of the women who have come forward and and men as well, who have brought up these allegations, who have brought these things to light, a lot of them say, you know, I've lived with this circ- this this memory, I've lived with this experience, I've lived with whatever this thing was for X number of years, and, you know, it's killed me, it's, it's eaten away at me from the inside. And Laura Dern, who, you know, is relatively, you know, it's, it's a very similar inst- uh, situation, you know, she is many years later, after the fact, coming to terms with the fact that the things that happened when she was a child were not as as straightforward and, and morally sound as she may have remembered them, but it's also the sense where she's still, in the present, not sure if, you know, she she's lived her whole life without thinking that this experience has mired everything about her and and has sort of adjusted the path that she ended up taking. And it's kind of similar to how, you know, if someone comes forward with the statement of, you know, I am just now realizing that what happened between myself and Harvey Weinstein, or I am just now realizing that what took place between me and whoever it was, was actually rape, or was actually physical and sexual assault, was abuse, was whatever it was. And that's a very different 
approach. And that's a very difficult story to tell, I think, because especially with, with how, how many people have come forward in the last year or so, I think a lot of viewers are going to look at a situation like that and think, you know, look, I, I, we, we as a society, I think, understand why it's taken so long for so many people to come forward. You know, it has just kind of been ingrained in society and, and the power dynamics and between men and women in the, in the past that that is why it has taken 20-some years for most of these allegations to come to light. And I think at this point, most viewers are going to see something, some situations like that and think, okay, I can see where this is coming from. I understand why it took so long. It's a shame, but I can understand what prevented all of these people from speaking out about what took place. It's, it's very different to go into this movie and think of it like, well you didn't even know you, you didn't even realize what was happening at the time like you, how how could you not realize it how could you not know and i think ellen burstyn's character really and common to a certain degree both of them really have that direction on their relationship with laura dern they're both at various points in the movie attacking her almost as if like how could you not know what what's wrong with you that you could not think that what was happening wasn't wasn't okay and <clears throat> to the film's credit and and to jennifer fox's credit she doesn't you know like kind of let that be the story it's not she gives laura dern you know this this sense of strength and courage to approach this perceived um black spot on her history and say you know look i I I, rec I get what you're saying. I I know what I know what you mean. I, I know what you mean. I I get that it's it's a lot to take in, but I need to go about this my own way. I need to come to this um come to this realization on my own terms and learn about it from my own point of view and my own vantage point. And that's that's tough. That's a tough thing to to kind of ease back on because I think a lot of people want us to just want to just kind of jump to the the end of this movie and say like look go like resolve this right now like you know what happened that's it that's all you need to know and that's not how the movie plays out it's very slower it's much slower it's much more methodical it's you know look whether or not this did happen i need to know i can't have any doubts i can't approach this scenario with anything less than the amount of integrity and fact-checking abilities that I approach any of the other subjects I, I you know, make movies about. Um, as a documentarian, you know, like, if you're putting out a documentary about anything, you want to make sure that either what you're showing is 100% factual or actually footage of the thing you're trying to talk about, right? Like, you don't want anything to come out that's not exactly as you're presenting it <clears throat> and that's kind of how Laura Dern Jennifer Fox approaches this scenario she's like look whether or not there was a sexual relationship whether or not it was assault whether or not it was abuse whether or not it was this that or the other I need to make sure I know exactly what was happening I need to talk to everyone who's around back then I need to address myself I need to find all the you know materials and and and, and I love that approach to this movie because it is it is far and away very different from what you generally expect a story like this 
to be. It plays out very differently, and the method in which it is told is incredibly intriguing and, and engaging for that exact reason. So, for me, uh, The Tale, one of my favorite movies of the year. Um, I gave it four stars on Letterboxd, very high on this movie. As far as uh, nominations go, currently, Best Picture, uh, Best Director for Jennifer Fox, Best Lead uh, for Laura Dern, uh, Supporting for Elizabeth Debicki. I thought she does a great job on this movie. I've heard praise for Elizabeth Nelise and Jason Ritter as well. I thought all three of the supporting, those three supporting cast members are great. Um, Ellen Burstyn is very good and common. Uh, continues to surprise me. After John Wick and... You know, this, uh, I think, you know, if you ignore his his role in Suicide Squad, uh, he, he could he could be a decent actor. And I think he does a solid job in this as Laura Dern's uh, boyfriend. So, solid cast all around. Um, Francis Conroy, who plays an older Elizabeth, older Elizabeth Debicki, and John Hurd, who plays older Jason Ritter. Um, both of them are, are good, too. But for me, Debicki is the one that stood out the most and currently has the nomination. Um, Jennifer Fox for Screenplay, nominated. And Best Scene. Uh, the particular scene is uh, during the fin- is like one of the final scenes of the movie, um, which, if you haven't seen the movie, it's on HBO, I think. You can just watch it if you have HBO. Um, I, I, as far as I'm aware... I think, and um, so if you have seen the movie, the scene in question is the sort of confrontation at the end. If you haven't, I'm just going to say it's the confrontation at the end. So, big fan of the tale, uh, and and really, really excited uh, to hope, and I really hope that the HBO thing doesn't sort of malign this film's reputation with the awards season, but I think there's a good chance it does, so it's a shame, but love the tale. One of my favorite movies of the year. And finally, so the last movie, and we're just going to kind of touch on this a little bit. First Reformed came to a theater near me. Uh, technically a 2017 movie, according to Letterboxd. It uh, is a very unexpected um, film. It's uh, the second film I've seen directed by Paul Schrader, the first being Affliction. Oscar-winning film Affliction, uh, which I think's okay. I, I wasn't wowed by Affliction, but uh, everyone and their mother seems to be wowed by First Reformed. Uh, a lot of comparisons to um, to Taxi Driver, to Mother, uh, and other, and many other films that I don't necessarily. See, I don't necessarily connect with those films. For me, First Reformed, uh, starring Ethan Hawke, Amanda Seyfried, Cedric the Entertainer, and Michael Gaston, among others, is uh, it's a character piece about Ethan Hawke's uh, Reverend Ernst Toller and his confliction uh, between hope and despair, as is outlined in the film. And he meets a man early on in the film who is also struggling with this same dilemma, who is a, uh, an environmental activist who doesn't think that the world is going to survive very much longer. He thinks that we have done irreparable damage on our 
on our Earth, and uh, it will only take, you know, maybe 100 years at most before everything is gone. Uh, I think he even says at one point that Ethan Hawke, who is like mid-40s in this movie, playing mid-40s in this movie, you know, he will live to see, like, everything go bad, basically. And from that point on, we kind of follow Ethan Hawke as he tries to uh, sort of figure out for himself uh, through the people around him, through the church that he uh, that he presides over, and the mega church that really bankrolls this the church that he he presides over. Um, whether or not this guy who is is worth anything, whether or not his his words mean something, and what's fascinating is I watched this movie and first impression was eh. Honestly, first impression, I was like, eh. It, it had, it was an even more of a, more of a reaction than I had it to like the ending of Hereditary. I really was not on board with where this movie ends up. I wasn't exactly sure what the point was. I, I didn't follow the, the the lines of metaphor and thought and simile and all that. I, I just it, it missed the mark for me completely. Uh. After seeing the movie, my girlfriend and I, you know, we went went to John Eagle, we bought groceries and stuff. The whole time we're talking about the movie, we're discussing, you know, what this meant, what that meant, what that meant. Uh, we we looked up, I looked up reviews on Letterboxd for this movie, and I scrolled through 50 to 100 of them, and there were maybe four that I found, if that, that were less than a four-star rating. This movie has a 4.1 on Letterboxd. It's insanely highly rated. And it kind of blew my mind. Because I had to either be missing something that everyone else was seeing. Or whatever I saw just didn't work. But it worked for everyone else. And the same thing was happening with my girlfriend. Who also would not have given this movie a 4 star. She's like, it's fine, it's good, but it's not a masterpiece, as I saw so many people uh, calling it and and claiming it to be. But, so what happened was, I read a lot of these reviews. I went through all of them. You know, I read them aloud between the two of us. I read them myself. I I just kept looking over and over in all these reviews and kept trying to find what parts of this movie were people praising that I wasn't impressed by or that I wasn't recognizing. And... I read interviews with Paul Schrader on, like, the finale of the film and what that means. And ultimately, at the very end of the day, at the very, very, very end of the day, when I finally sat down to rate and review the film on on Letterboxd, it came out as a a three-and-a-half-star movie. And far from a masterpiece, I, I wouldn't ever call this a masterpiece, but, but, having done such extensive research... Uh, having after watching the film, I do feel as though I have a much better understanding of this movie, and to the extent where I did enjoy this movie, uh, it took me some time, but I do enjoy this movie. I think Ethan Hawke and Amanda Seyfried give a, give great performances. Uh, it's a shame this doesn't count as 2018 because both of them would make the list uh, for this year at this point if if they if it had. 
um, the ending of the movie, I am a l far more on board with than I was at first. I, I don't know if I'm 100% there, but I am a good 75 to 80% there. And uh, the dilemma, um, I think, is, is one that is g tough to display in film. Uh, I saw a couple other people compare this to Silence. I think Silence, uh, I think Scorsese does a lot of good things in Silence, but I do for, for me, the dilemma never felt um, well-reasoned, personally. Whereas First Reformed, I think Schrader pulls it off brilliantly. I think all, by the end of this movie, you really are left to ponder this, this um, hope versus despair question. And what it really means to you, and how it affects your life, and what it what it ultimately comes down to, and and that's not easy. Um, some of the so I do think I, for me it's better than Silence. It is not as good as Mother, and it is what was the other movie it was compared to Taxi Driver. It's not as good as Taxi Driver. Uh, the comparisons to Taxi Driver are that Ethan Hawke's character kind of has to go through the same uh, situations that. Travis Bickle does, and Schrader wrote both of the films, so definitely some comparisons to be drawn. If you look up interviews with Schrader, he will cite a couple other movies as what, um, as far as uh, what he was thinking of and what he was looking into when he made this one, and it's definitely a provoking movie. That is uh, the the most significant element, and I think. For that reason alone, it is worth going to see for how provocative the film can be. Um, I have, I'm sure I've mentioned before, I'm not at all religious, and the best religious, quote religious movies uh, that that I've seen are the ones that don't hinge on the person being religious, but use religion as a way to talk about a bigger thing. And I think this movie does that. Beautifully, you know, everyone, religious or not, can battle with the um, difference and and competing emotions of hope and despair because we see it all around, right? You know, I think the whole you know Trump is is one way this all works out uh, as a film, as a not as a film, but as, as in a circumstance that that many people really have to come to terms with how hopeful and dis and filled with despair they are about that situation. And um, there are so many others that uh, ask the same question. So I really came around on this one. Um, if I ever do see it again, uh, I think I'll have a much more rewarding watch of it than I did the first time. But um, I don't know if that'll ever happen. So... All in all, I gave First Reformed three and a half stars. Uh, I think it's a very solid, strong movie. And uh, one that's worth seeing. Um, bar none. So, that being said, of the three films, uh, for me, The Tale, number one, First Reformed, number two, and Hereditary, number three. However, all of them are good to great movies. And I do, I would say that if you haven't seen any of them, or one of them, or whichever you are looking into or thinking about seeing, I would check it out. Uh, it, it, at the very least, there's something for you. 
Um, and at the best, it might be a movie that you absolutely love because all three of these movies have very rabid fan bases already. So uh, that's it. Those are the reviews for me for Hereditary, The Tale, and First Reformed. I want to thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you would like to check out more episodes, uh, look at the actual full roster of the Circle of Film Awards or anything else relating to the podcast, uh, you can do that at circleoffilm.com. If you want to get in touch with me uh, for any reason at all, you can do that at Circle of Film on Twitter or Circle of Film at gmail.com. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so for as little as eight cents an episode on patreon.com slash circle of film. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, have a week. So long, farewell, I'll be the same goodnight. I know she'll never leave me, even as she fades from Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. So long.